recording live from inside Colin Kaepernick's Afro, it's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Nest. <laughs> this is the week three edition. I'm your host, Eric Ronnebeck. With me is uh, Nathan Sano to my left. It's a, it's a great Afro. I just couldn't help it. I'm sorry. He looks like uh, one of the guys from out the drive-in, for those of you listening in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Garber is also with us. How you doing, right, Kevin? Is it, oh, sorry, I was going to say, is it for all our listeners who send their transmission to the one-armed scissor? Ooh. <laughs> little little indie, indie music pull from Nathan. Yeah, I was going to say, so what you're saying is we're reporting live from three and a half feet above the 49ers bench. Ooh. Yep, that's basically correct. That's rude. And and the man who will agree with me that Colin Kaepernick has changed the world. For the better. Brett Hancock. Hi, guys. Welcome back. I thought I would equal my total from last year. <laughs> just goes, hi, guys. <laughs> like you said, it's so sad. Like, like you don't actually want to be here. Like we, I do. We chained, but... you, we chained you up in here and like just... You're just like being forced to do it. He's going to host. I've taken the issues that Colin Kaepernick has discussed uh, to heart, so I'm just kind of sad. Disgust. Yes, he is disgust. I just want to do something. All right, gentlemen. So uh, this week we got to see the Los Angeles Dodgers beat our Seattle Mariners nine to three. Just big <laughs> bad run support for our Seattle Seahawks. That was some three to nine bullshit, right oh, there. Oh my gosh, uh, Kevin. You said earlier before we were recording that. Uh, what did you say about this game that it was just extremely painful to watch? It was I've I hadn't felt this bad during a game. By go. the way, I want to apologize to our Twitter community. I was so distraught during the fourth part of this game, I forgot how face mask penalties work. <laughs> that is how upset I was. Kevin was like, "This should be a five yard face mask," and I'm like, "That doesn't exist. It hasn't existed in a while." And I tried to like figure out when that came, when that went away, and it was like ten years ago or, so, or eight this, years ago. No, it was like five, but still, it was long enough ago. I should have known. Two thousand eight, I think, is when like the the last time I could find it being officially in the book. I think oh. your <laughs> level of despondent on Twitter is probably still better than than my than my best days. Well, we didn't get banned from Twitter, so <laughs> it's better than your level of despondency. Well, you know, it's kind of weird. This year in the NFL, you're seeing you know week one is always different than week two because you know teams show up different week to week, and we don't know what we have in a team through week one. But Cassius Marsh just modeled the NFL season because he was so good in that first game. And this game, he was fine until the game killer, as I want to call it. Until a BS incidental contact penalty? I'm not really going to call him on that. I Either way, man, you got to... Earl Thomas taught him how to do it. kind of inadvertently barely grace somebody's face mask and get called for a back-breaking 15-yard penalty. Yeah, it Ryan was... Ryan Tannehill... That that was I thought that was I, I mean the thing dangerous. that's insane to me about this game is how even everything is. It's like we had 17 first downs, they had 17 first downs. We had 24 rushes for 67 yards, they had 25 rushes for 64 yards. We completed 22 passes for 254, they completed 18 passes for 239. Like everything is just like even down the line. It just goes down except for we turned the ball over once, we put and we had uh and that's it. That's like it. The one turnover is like the diff- the difference between the two teams. And I mean, that turnover was the end of the game. Here's the thing. I know we hate talking about penalties, but I think they need to be addressed here. And here's why. So the pass interference calls made no sense. There were four clear, if you look at video, uncalled hits on Russell Wilson in the pocket. But, you know... I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy because it was consistently bad refing. Bradley Soul could have been called for a false start penalty on every snap of the second half. And if you look, he was a good half second early getting out of his stance, and they never called it. I don't know if it was pity because of how badly he was playing, <laughs> but there were some clear issues with the refing in this let's, game. Let's be honest, though. There's so many things the Seahawks could have done to win this game, like finish a drive from first and four on our on the Rams' four-yard line. That would have been nice. I could dig that. I think the reason that this officiating stuck out so, so much is that it negated or gave them toxic differential, you know, like in the Rams' favor. And we talk about it every single week. You know, that is that is the key to our success. So the fact that it negated some of those plays for and you know for us and against the Rams, I think that's why it stuck out. But I mean, yeah, we the bigger problem we still should have won. The bigger problem for me is that like you know you you have all these drives where you get into these situations. And it's not even it's just second and night second and nineteen, third and ten, third and eleven, third and twelve. 
third and ten. You know, it's like every drive we're in third and long, and this team does not operate very well out of third and long. And so you got to set up short drives, set up the pass with the run. That's what we've done for years and years, and now it's it, – it, we didn't do that in this last game. That's not what happened. Well, I was going to ask <clears throat> is – are we abandoning the running game because we don't have faith in our running backs? That's how it looks to me, and I just want to kind of put that out there. Not to, not to give you a leading question, but... Against the Rams, yes, it seems like it. I don't know. We didn't have success running any direction. Like, our runs off right tackle were terrible. We rushed six times there for three yards. Uh, we uh, Off left end, we rushed two times for negative seven. Left tackle, three for eight. Like, we didn't have success in any of the positions running the ball. So it makes it really challenging for the offense because if we can't run at all. And I think that for portions of the game, the the read option is just completely off the table. They just decided not to run it because they didn't want to risk Russell's ankle. And it changed our offense, not in a good way. You know, I don't know what to make of this running game right now because Kristen Michael has 25 carries for 126 yards. He's having five yards per carry. Yeah, so Michael's looked, a really respectable running back right now. He looked decent in this game, 10 for 60. He did. And the offensive line is, so I hit up Football Outsiders. The offensive line is ranked 28th in um, adjusted line yards, which is basically kind of like yards before contact. It's the amount of the run that the offensive line is responsible for. So they're the 28th best or the fifth worst, depending on how you choose to look at it, um, with... 2.8, so on the average run, they're getting about 2.8 yards before contact. But, you know, not to pile on to the worst offensive tackle I've ever seen in a game live, <laughs> uh, Bradley Soul, but we're at negative one one and a half yards per rush off the left end. That's awful. Literally, if you look at our rushing yards, the further we get away from Bradley Soul, the more successful we are at running the ball. Yeah, actually, right end is like one of the few areas you can look at consistently. We've had success running off right end this season. Well, the so far <clears throat> the thing yeah. I'll say about Soul is at least he can pass protect. No, I know that <laughs> that was a joke. You gotta you gotta I, let the that's not the funny. key to the key to any good joke is timing. But yeah, it's. Uh, what do we do in that position? I mean, we know Fetty's injured, and he's he's going to at least start at guard. We it's believe it's not a joke if you measure it in tears. No, no, and here's and here's <laughs> the problem. Okay, here's the problem with the Fetty coming back is it doesn't bench Bradley Soul. Yeah, like it's not going to put him on the bench, and he is clearly the worst player. Like if he's Russell Okung right now, this offensive line is chugging. Yes, like, uh, there's no way that we're not great, and I think it speaks to something philosophically that the Seahawks have done, which is they don't invest in their offensive line. They expect Tom Cable to do. Every single thing. Didn't we have this exact conversation last year until Patrick Lewis was inserted at center? Yeah, I mean, they, all what? these all these experiments that he's doing are just like I, I don't even know what he's trying what he's trying to pull. It's 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 enough is enough, I guess. Can we I'm start saying. the season with the good experiment that always happens when we just start tearing up the rest of the league? Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'd be fine if our next move, if we do in the draft with offensive tackle, what the Cleveland Browns did with wide receiver this year, just off like five offensive tackles. We're like, man, three of you guys will be able to play worth something. Let's do this. I I just want a new body in there. It's Yeah, maybe stop trading first-round picks for gadget players, too. Like, it (laughs) hasn't worked either time. Like, for the Harvin or Graham, both – I'm not saying they're terrible players. I'm saying that we got terrible results. It was a results. bad move. We got terrible results out of them both times. Neither of those trades have worked out very good for us at all. And Jimmy Graham looks healthy. The guy can play. Right. And yeah. he's, he's not getting those snaps, though. You no, know, and he's playing. He, he's seen the ball as much as he did early in the season last year, which is not a I lot. Mean, when you trade a first-round pick for a player, it's that's a move where you're saying, I am one dude away from winning a Super Bowl. And I don't necessarily disagree with their assessment of this team. Like, this team is probably only one dude away, but they keep picking the wrong dude. You yeah, know? that dude is a left tackle right now. What's going to be Absolutely. extremely aggravating is that, so far, this looks like one of the better defenses that Pete Carroll's ever had, and one of the worst offensive lines. There's just no talent that's at least starting and healthy. So if we squander this defense, it, I think it would be up there with the biggest uh, shames of the PC era. One of the better defenses, are we ready to switch to defense? 
You know what? Why not? Let's go. Can I just talk oh. a little bit about trading first round picks too? Just sure, like for like ahead, ten more ahead. seconds, just philosophically. Nate's right? angry. He's Rick, fired up. Rick yeah. Spielman did this. He's like in, Blake Bortles in garbage time. Angry. Rick Spielman in Minnesota <laughs> did the same thing. Right? He trades a first round pick for Sam Bradford, and everyone just trashes on him like it's the worst move ever, and they're so bad. But he knew something about that team that they, if they had even a slightly above average quarterback that they could contend for a title. And they went out and showed that last week in Green Bay, that they didn't need Sam Bradford to be freaking Aaron Rodgers. Their defense is so good that it's good, just needs to be good enough. And if we could you have used one of those first-round picks to either acquire a tackle or draft a tackle, this team would be right there. So it's just we threw those picks away. We burned them. We set them on fire. It's like setting $100 bills on fire, and I can't. It's hard for me to watch because it's they're not the right moves. Does that make sense? Yeah, like absolutely. at least when you got went and get Sam Bradford, they're using Sam Bradford. I don't like Sam Bradford. I don't think he's great or anything, but they're using him, and he looked better than he's ever looked last week. I think what it boils down to in year five is that you just have to accept it. They think they can get away with not drafting offensive linemen higher than Justin Britt and using their picks better somewhere else. And so far, hey, I mean, we've scored what. 13 points this year. At what point does Tom Cable fall, have to fall on his sword for this, though? Because obviously he's influencing these decisions. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Pete Carroll's a delegator, right? Like It's like Kevin said. He will let you stand on the table, and Tom Cable's a big guy, so maybe he's, maybe he's intimidating. <laughs> but, yeah, he seems to be getting his way until something happens, right? I mean, maybe this isn't a Daryl Bevel conspiracy anymore where something happens and Pete Carroll's like, um, maybe not. Because this is what year four, where it's seemingly we're going to have a huge midseason, f- f- you know, like a switch flip. So something's going on. Let's be honest. I think though, next year, on some level, Jeff Fisher tr- treats playing the. I don't mean to switch it back to the Rams, but on some level, Jeff Fisher treats playing the Seahawks like it's the friggin' Super Bowl. Yep. And maybe it's because we've had sustained greatness or whatever, but they, he's going. They're going to go seven and nine again. Let's not overreact to this. Yeah, they're not a good not football go team. Six and ten or whatever. Like we're probably fine. As as sure as we are that the Rams are far worse than this game, I'm sure we're far better than it, hopefully. Kevin, let's go defense. So looking at this defense, you know, as leaving nine points will tell you, this defense played really well. Todd Gurley had 19 carries for 51 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. He was shut down That's awesome. all game. That is great. And if you remove Kendricks from the game, so Kendricks had that big 44-yard catch and he had four catches for 61 yards. If you take his numbers out, um, they're under seven yards per pass attempt. Britt killed us, though. Britt killed us. He had six receptions for 94 yards. Kendrick's had four for 61. That was their entire passing game. And there were a couple of busted plays, a couple of long passes. Britt made a really good back shoulder catch. That was just a killer. Yeah, well, leave it to the yeah. old veteran, Kenny Britt. Okay, we're going to talk about Ke- Kenny Britt because Deshaun Shed got taken to the shed in this game. He was not good. And I don't know if it's that. I think Lane should play outside more often than than maybe they're doing right now. And they always kick in every three cornerback set, they kick him to the inside. And I think Lane might have done a better job. Shed did not do good against Kenny Britt and Case Keenum which isn't exactly like the lights the world on fire tight wide receiver quarterback combo. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I talked to, to you guys during the game about this, but there were a couple of times where a linebacker was running down the sideline covering a receiver. Is this something where, uh, let's who's the who's the guy who left Carolina, the cornerback, Josh Norman? Yeah. Josh Norman, they said, you know, is this guy elite? He only stays on one side of the field. Is it time that maybe, and I hate to bring this up against the Rams, but we move Richard Sherman around with the best receiver and take him off his side. We are a zone concept team, and doing anything to change that is not going to help. Sherman can still switch sides, though. I don't want him to but be in the slot. But, but it's Case Keenum and Kenny Britt. Those are your two, well, and Todd Gurley, but we shut him down. But those are your two best passing game options. I wouldn't do anything differently. That is a great point, Brett, but why did Case Keenum look like I mean, look like Case Keenum in game one and this game. Because you can say it's Jeff Fisher. Like, he really game plans well. But Case Keenum took us out. And that guy is – that guy looks 55 years old and he's not. And let's be he honest. He like he's 55 years old. Hill, let's be honest. Begat, like Keenum, begat. Kenny Britt caught, like, almost every pass that was thrown his way, too. It wasn't like – anything that he didn't catch was significantly overthrown, right? Like, he yeah. – 
He caught he caught six receptions on ten targets, but the four that he missed were like bad overthrows or throwaways. It wasn't like he was just dropping or there were 50-50 balls or anything. He was wide open on almost every play that he caught the ball. I hate this game as much as I hated the Dallas game last year, and I feel like it could have had a similar outcome. Like, we would have scored, probably, right? And then we would have been like, oh, thank God we escaped that one. But it still would have been, why did Matt Castle move the ball on us? You know, why did... Why did Case Keenum move the ball on us? So I mean, we only gave up two sacks. At the end of the day, like I think the offensive line performed admirably enough. Like, the, and we only we got like three sacks, so we hit the ball. We got pressure. Like, there's we. I felt like we won the pressure battle, or at least was even. the The problems were like ancillary play calling on offense and defense, uh, not being able to stop Kenny Britt. I'm just gonna keep bringing this up. It dri- drives drives me nuts. Play calling was bad on offense, but I. I'm sorry. They only allowed two sacks. They allowed nine quarterback hits, though. Yeah, that is not good offensive line play. I I think it's good enough to win. I'm not saying it's good. Well, it, but if you look at our entire stat line, it was good enough to win, and then we didn't. Like you said, we didn't finish. And we need. And to I c- think part of that has to be play calling. You're right. And we didn't give enough runs to Kristen Michael. We kept going with Rawls when he was clearly having trouble making his cuts. That was just not good use of personnel and, and not good play calling. St. Louis came in with a plan too. Their plan was. Play a close game, don't make any mistakes, and just keep it tight. And that's their and then game we can every try to time. and we can try to win by one or two. They didn't take any risks at all. Yes, right. It wasn't like the Tavon Austin bomb down the field or anything like that. I mean, they're long. What they had a forty-four yard reception to Lance Kendricks on like a busted coverage. Yeah, that was their coverage. longest play. But like they didn't take a ton of risks with this offense. I didn't. You don't see them chucking it deep like Arizona does or anything like that. You no, would, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. You would hope that because they took no risks, there was no special teams shenanigans that we would have won comfortably, right? I mean, top to bottom, we're a, a more talented team besides two spots on the, you know, like on the defensive line. And yeah, we just... I mean, we won the hidden yard stuff. Like, our punter was good. John Ryan had a good game. Their punter did, did worse. Even with Freaking Sherman taking a fair catch on every single. Uh, uh, Lockett going out hurt. Yeah, that was that was rough. Oh, he did. Yeah, he, came, he, was he out came back about a quarter and a half. Oh gosh, I missed that. I I would have enjoyed like gangly Richard Sherman running down on a punt return would have been the highlight of that game. Gentlemen, for the sake of my blood pressure and sanity, can we please move on? Yeah, right, just let me talk about one more thing. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> always one more thing. Yeah, and, and I know it's out of order, and I'm just like switching from offense to defense because there's so many back and forth. But Thomas Rawls. Uh, was it a flash in the pan? Is he actually still hurt? Does he need to just take a couple weeks off? Where do you, where are you guys at on the Thomas Rawls thing right now? And I think Christian Michael's good. So let me say first that I'm like 50-50. I think both these guys c- could be good, but I want to know where you guys stand. What's, what's your thinking? I think Rawls needs to learn how to one cut and go. And behind this offensive line, every flaw with him as a young running back is being exposed to the maximum degree. So you're saying like every time he's indecisive, He's going to get punished for it because the offensive line is not good enough to save him from because that. Because defensive linemen are meeting you at the handoff, yeah. I think we should be starting Kristen Michael right now because of how he's playing. And I will say this about Rawls. Rawls this year looks like Kristen Michael before he put Senior on the back of his jersey. <laughs> he does. He's, he's hitting the line. He he's going on his butt. He hasn't a bunch of times yet, though. <laughs> Kristen Michael didn't have that much of a, a chance to fumble all that much, but he would. Just once. Yeah, but he yeah, would. He saved it for no, the I most mean, important time. I mean two years ago. No, I know, but what I'm saying is like Kristen Michael would hit the line and go down, and Rawls and, is starting to do that. Think, and I'll be honest, that's one of those plays where any almost anyone would have fumbled that ball. Like he got, yes. he got held up and sandwiched, and a guy got like perfect perfect view on hitting the ball. Oh, yeah. It was a ru- it was rough. I, I mean, you got to feel for him. I think Rawls is still dinged up and but I think he's better in the passing game, but it doesn't really matter at this point cuz he I don't think he should be playing. All right. Well, what I was saying this felt what I what I, when I started I listed all those stats where I thought it was even and I felt like this game was as close to a coin flip as it gets for the Seahawks and we just came out on the wrong side of it. And I think if you play that game 10 times Right now, just the same teams. We win five or six of them, and we just got the wrong side of the coin this time. Really quickly, I do want to say one other thing. I want to end on a positive here. And okay. that positive is that Frank Clark looked amazing. Yeah, yeah Frank Clark's Frank dope. Clark he was great. the Cassius Marsh of this week, too. <laughs> I mean, he had well, a couple of sacks. Frank Clark had a great well, first week. Well, oh. let's be honest. If Cassius Marsh doesn't get a face mask on that play, 
Cassius Marsh is the Cassius Marsh of this week because that play was so that would have been so important. Oh, that was such a good play, and the look on his face was the look in my oh, heart. The best part was the way he turned and looked, and it was directly at the camera yeah. somehow. Yeah. It was like someone directed it. Yes, it was. It was looked like a movie. It looked like a lost scene from the replacements. All right, so we're going to move on to talk about the 49ers. Yeah, we get a home game. Uh, a much need a home game after traveling not that far to L.A. We get to meet the 49ers. It's a little inside baseball, but our goal length for this podcast is 45 minutes, and I don't know how we're going to talk about the 49ers for, for, for 20 minutes. We, we, have, movie, we, we have, have a movie, movie review. Oh, yeah, but I know, but I mean not including the movie. So it's like, I, I don't – Chip Kelly is a guy – you know, I'll, I'll say this about the 49ers. I'll, We're going to run 50,000 plays. I'll lead us into the 49ers. Week one, the 49ers looked really good, and the Rams looked really bad. And they the and 49ers, everyone overreacted to it. Yes, which they, they, you're going to get in the first three weeks, two weeks of the NFL season. And then last week, the 49ers get beat big by the Carolina Panthers. But they but, hung in there for the first half, though. And they put up points. They put up points against a Carolina Panthers defense not as good as last year, but and what was crazy about this but, game? I want to think is that they were like down by a lot. Then they were, or then they so then they they come back to a half or the halftime. They're down. Then they come back and it's only twenty seven thirty four. Like they were right back in it. And then Cam Newton just was like, "Nah, this is not happening. <laughs> this is not happening." And just put the his foot on the throat and scored another touchdown. It was like when goal. a college team is up like big at halftime and they take their foot off the gas right. and, against like. You know, know. I yeah, mean, it, they came out like, the third quarter and just the, they went up thirty-one ten, and they were like, eh, "Whatever, we, yeah. we won." It's like Alabama playing Appalachian State or something, and they're like <laughs> at halftime, they're like, "All right, well, this is cool. We're gonna put the backups in." But you FCS know. North. <laughs> yeah, um, what do you guys make of Carlos Hyde this year? Carlos Hyde is three point three yards per carry. No, here's the thing about this team. Yes, the offensive line. Or excuse me, the, the offensive numbers look good, uh, as in points scored. I was going to say, you said the offensive line. Sorry. So Joe Staley. Yeah. The, the, Joe Staley <laughs> looks good. And by that, I mean handsome. Uh, Blaine Gabbert's 54.9% completions, 413 yards, less than six yards per attempt. Uh, that's the number I wanted. Three touchdowns, two picks. Hyde has 3.3 yards per carry. He has 122 yards on the season. Like, they're scoring points, but they're not playing offense. This is Chip Kelly calling a good string of plays every once in a while and getting them in the end zone. I'll say this too: every time they run off right end, like they don't get any anything. Like they all their right end runs are horrible because they're not running behind their best player. So they they do this thing where like they'll have like a bunch of horrible plays, then all of a sudden they'll start running. They'll remember like, oh yeah, we can run left, guys, and then they'll do like three good plays in a row. And Carl's Hyde, when he runs right, he has to do so much work to just not get like a negative five yard rush. You remember how I said that we have the 28th uh, offensive oh, line in running? They have the 30th. Yeah, That's what I have to say about their offensive line. Yeah, Yikes. it's not. It's Joe Staley and guys. It's just what we said in our, in our season preview. You know, it's Joe Staley and then dudes. Some, some dudes that you probably don't want to be. Uh, and a dude who retired and came back and then threatened to retire. I mean, playing guard. Yeah, I mean, we... You know, we've played a similarly talent poor Chip Kelly team and just dismantled them on the road. I'm not, I'm not sweating it. You know, uh, another thing about San Francisco, though, we trashed on their offensive line right there in terms of run. They're second in the league in pass protection. They've only given up two sacks. Thank you, Nathan. They have 5.82 yards per attempt. (laughs) They're throwing all screen passes. They throw a bunch of quick passes. They're doing one step drops. But quick passes against the Seahawks is something that teams actually find success with. Quick slants. To the tune of nine points. Yeah, well, <laughs> if we can't score seven again, again. Eric, I, oh, I may be underrated. If that Eric, happens, I, Eric Armstead I too. Twitter. Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, like they're better than I thought. They're not good, great, but they're they're decent. Russ needs to be able to move because he got some long arms to bat a ball with. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah, let's uh let's talk about Russ for a second. How healthy do you look to you guys against the Rams? Not, not. Healthy. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I was talking to a friend like. He By the way, to... real quick, for those of you who couldn't see that, that was Brett making the sound of feeling not healthy. <laughs> uh, Russell Wilson has been known as a scrambling quarterback. Like, he runs outside the pocket. In this game against the Rams, he ran forward. He ran to the side. He did not scramble. There was no evasiveness from Russell Wilson. That's how I can tell he's not healthy because, yeah, he, he supposedly came into practice on Friday, you know, not wearing shoes or socks and just kind of like, hey, look at me, I'm fine, my ankle's great. But he could not scramble. His quickness isn't there. And it's, I I know it's going to get better as the weeks go on, but I'll say that the week five bye week coming up originally looked like, oh, that's too early. 
looks like it could not come at a better time. Absolutely. I just, it's basically, I feel like we're in a race to Actually, yes, 500. Yes, week four. <laughs> We've had plenty of those over the years. I mean, do you think Russell Wilson improves this week? Do you think it's, I, mean, I don't think it's anything serious, but do you think this is something that he can grow on from last week's performance? I think his passing's been fine. Like, he's not, he's not any less accurate, but I mean. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that statement, actually. Ooh. I think that there's been more bad throws out of Russell Wilson in these last two weeks than we saw in the last, like, eight weeks of last year. And I'm not saying that he's inaccurate right now, but the injury is affecting his accuracy, is what I would say. Does that make sense? Like he is, yeah. he is not make, completing as many passes as a result of his in, his injury. Do you think it's because he's not able to move around and find a good lane? I think it's because two things. One, yes, he needs to move more than most quarterbacks because he's shorter to find the passing lanes. And two, he's not stepping into his throws like he usually does with full force because he has that injury. I also think he's not stepping into his lanes because if you look, he's constantly having to slide up in the pocket. I would like to call out the ringer again for calling out Glowinski, who is not the problem. It is not the problem. Has not called out Sowell once. Has called out Glowinski in two weeks. Yeah, Man, Rob- Robert Mays is an idiot. Robert Mays, I don't. I love you, but you got to blame Bradley Sowell. Like you got to get your stuff together. Danny Kelly, we know you're there, and just please help him understand. You know what's going to help Russell Wilson a lot this week, according to reports. Vanette is likely back. Effetti is almost for sure going to be back. That is what's going to help Russ this week. Yeah, Effetti. Oh man, Effetti is going to help so much. I wish Soul. There was some way we get Soul off the line though. Like, just put literally anyone in the game. I don't care. I know that the other guys, the other tackles we have on our roster are not exactly, you know, the greatest guys who ever lived. But you know what? Give Jamarcus Webb a chance. Let's there go. Any, well, that's the whole thing. If Fetty comes back, then Webb could theoretically slide to tackle. Is there any rookie free agent defensive tackles out there we can... We can play George Fant out there. Sure. Who is the... Fant is raw, dude. He, he is, is not so ready. Raw. Is he running real, <laughs> He's though? really wide, so that makes him more in the way than Soul. Yeah. <laughs> who is the offensive lineman we cut early last year? I don't even know about that, Kevin, because Soul is like a giant. Isn't he like six foot seven? I thought there was a guy last year on the offensive line we cut. Are you talking about Terry Poole? No. Yeah. Let's Terry Poole. What's Patrick Poole I'm just doing? I wanted to say that there was a, just a big a big experiment last year. They were like, no, you're you're out. Oh, Maybe. it's that guy no, it's the guy that was with de- converted defensive lineman and his agent went on Twitter and was like, Yeah, that was that was a mistake. He's going back to D line and then the no center? one signed him. You're thinking about uh Christian so uh Socoli or whatever? I don't know. But he was a way. defensive lineman out of Buffalo. And That's he right. got cut in the preseason this year. You know, I was just thinking last year how we need that change in the offensive line this year. Who was our center last year to start the year? It wasn't Lewinsky. That was, was Noak. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly yeah, who I was yeah, looking. Yeah, Drew yeah. Noak. The offensive line was a dumpster fire, and then they were like, P. Lewis is in, and we just we just tore it up. Yeah. Here's the thing. Again, once Britt's still playing good. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, Glowinski's still playing good, despite what people on the radio think. Gilliam's not like the total dumpster fire. He's fine. And he can run block. Like, I, I don't mind... I don't mind Gilliam in a vacuum. Like if he's part of a good offensive line, he'll be fine. He's the kind of guy where he'll go as the line goes. Not so not if he's, he's not gonna, the man. He's not going to. He's not going to raise anybody's play up or anything. Like sitting next to like a Joe Staley or like a like a really good offensive lineman. But he if he's there and the line's good, he'll be good. He's the you Byron know? Maxwell of the offensive line. Yes, actually, maybe That's this not a bad fix analogy. when Fetty comes back. Since Britt's fine. There's, a, there's another fine, you know, couple spots. Maybe we'll all be fine. So that's exactly what my plan is. Afedi comes back. Webb, who's a decent run blocker at tackle, kicks out to tackle for Seoul. Which the Seahawks are right now saying there's no plans to mix up the line. I guess whatever, Seoul's out there at left tackle. Man, you just, just give Jamarcus Webb a shot. Like, there's no way he could be worse. But that's, here's that's what you thinking. do. Yes. Here's what you do. You have Gilliam, Afedi, Britt, Glowinski, doesn't matter, dumpster fire. And if Fennett's back, you put him over there at tight end and just run Kristen Michael to the right until, I don't care, defenses lopside themselves all the way on that side of the field. I don't care what it is. Like out of the water, boy? That, Absolutely. And that Tukuafu thing, everyone <laughs> said, like, oh, Tukuafu's back. We're going to run power up the middle, and he's going to break some face masks. He played seven snaps. Like, he was not – He didn't, it, didn't, it did not matter. Yeah, the full the fullback era is officially uh, over. That's, again, play calling, though. The play calling just the, is killing me. Play calling it's is doing a big no deal. favors. And we're not, we're not running power. We're not – Working with you know Marshawn Marshawn Lynch style runs 
with Chris Michael or Rawls. And I feel like in the first game, Doug Baldwin seemed to be open on every single play. And in the second game, Russell just couldn't get the ball out. And, you know, he, he was, he had to feel better than he did at the end of the first game. I'm thinking this, I want to see, I want to go back to Seahawks football. I want to, I want to see us the run Wy- the ball. You know, Richardson, Lockett, Curse, and Baldwin all individually have looked pretty, pretty freaking good yes, this season. Yes. And so I, if the offensive line can just be competent enough, two and a half seconds to hold it together, these, these the, four guys can do it. Are these the two best defensive lines that we'll face for the next two months? Like are Carolina can make games? a Carolina can make a pitch for right up in there. Like what's our next five or six games? Oh, Niners. you like just want me to rip off the yeah, schedule yeah, yeah. like that off the top of my head? Oh, uh, I don't know. Can I'm you give me like thirty seconds? To yeah, I can. I can talk about anything. We have got. the oh, Jets in Week Four. Ooh. We have the Cardinals on <laughs> after the. Uh, All right, you know what you can You know what? It goes Jets then versus Atlanta at Arizona at New Orleans versus Buffalo. So those are our next games coming up. We get New Orleans and Buffalo. Trade uh, two first round picks for eleven. <laughs> and Jimmy Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we trade back Jimmy? Who's uh, like a bad team with a good left tackle? Oh wait, we're playing them this week. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me the 49ers trading if the 49ers traded Staley to us, I think that their ownership would be lynched. I think that they would trade to the whoa, whoa. before they Colin trade. Colin Kaepernick us. would not approve of that, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. All right, uh anything else about the 49ers because we really haven't even talked about them. Things about um, the 49ers that are interesting. Okay, let's not I, I've gone to commend every single person in this room. We have not made any comments about standing or not for the national anthem. Yeah. Good job by us. That's because that's not a story. If you want a story, if you want a take on that, just listen to Jesse Ventura talk about it. It's the only take on it that's been sane since I've seen this thing start. Which Devoid. coming from Jesse Ventura is a is a damn miracle. That's also um, the only sane thing Jesse Ventura said <laughs> since <Yeah>. Predator. <laughs> since um, Predator. About the 49ers, it, it still fills my heart with much joy that. They, they, not anybody else, the owners, you know, the uh, the Yorks, they dismantled a championship level roster and head coach just because they just, Ego. Because, yeah. And that, that brings me a lot, a lot of joy. And now they're like, well, we got Chip Kelly. We're going to play pretty good. And Chip Kelly's not the GM, so don't worry. And I'm over here like, no, I'm not. Thanks. Like you guys did it. So yeah, it's great. Like, At that. At the end of the day, are you guys? Is anyone really going to trust Blaine Gabber on the road? No. no. I mean, come on. It's you didn't have to say on the road. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't mind Blaine Gabber in the fourth quarter of a, uh, of a he, fourteen yeah. point game. What I don't mind for attempt are just horrible. Still, <laughs> like he's not. Yeah, I don't mind Blaine Gabbard starting for Missouri six years ago. He's 30, That's the last time I don't mind Blaine Gabbard. He's thirty nine for seventy one, and he falls into that old adage I've said for so long, which is that you can't teach guys to be accurate once they join the NFL. It just doesn't happen. You're either accurate or you're not. <laughs> this guy was inaccurate in college. Guess what? He's inaccurate in the pros. Right. Like, we call it locker over. theory. Like as much as I hate Sam Bradford, he's still been accurate. He's just always hurt, and he fumbles a lot. And he has no pocket presence. I, but honest, he's, and he's shockingly not white. But, right, you he's, want to, but he's still accurate. You want like, a take for 49ers take? Here, they're making a mistake by not trying to make Kaepernick work in Chip Kelly's offense. Totally. Yes. yes. He's Why? a perfect yeah. fit. He's like a good fit. And if they try to make it work, and if it works, that's awesome. If it doesn't work, oh, well, you didn't give up anything. Blaine Gabber is not the answer. Like, he's not accurate. Right. He's not a great – he's a medium-plus medium athlete. Like, he's not He's not like Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick who ran for like a billion yards against the – Packers in the playoffs. The fact that those Chip Kelly wants to trade entire roster and firstborn child for Marcus Mariota rumors had a lot of legs. Why isn't he making like a poor man's Marcus Mariota somewhat functional? It's not like Kaepernick is like chopped liver. Yeah, it blows my mind. It's not like Gabbert is such an overwhelming pocket passing talent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, you need thing. to put him in there. Yeah, like if you want to play in Gabbert, you can go sign. I'll be you know, honest, Matt Castle. Blaine Gabbert might just be like a bad version of Colin Kaepernick. He's a worse athlete, more inaccurate passer. Like, I mean, yeah, Colin Kaepernick is a one, kind of one one read, but Chip Kelly needs to trust his ability to coach that in, up in him. Like he throws accurate passes on his one read. Do you think this is Chip <laughs> Kelly? I don't Kelly's know. Racist, I'm man. not sure. Chip Kelly's racist, and he won't stand for the flag salute. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think Chip Kelly wants Kaepernick in there, and I think if 
If he wants him in there, I think he'd play. Part of me wants to see Chip Kelly like stand on top of the bench for the flags or something like do the opposite of not standing for the flags and stand higher. Like go stand next to the flag. Chip Kelly is nowhere near that clever. I do, uh, I do think Carlos Hyde is talented, and when you watch him play, I think it's underrated how good he's playing right now because yeah. he's making a lot of really bad runs into like medium warm runs. Yeah, and so many negative one yard runs into two yard runs. If they get if they get something going, like he'll have a he'll have some games this season where everyone will be like, whoa. But it, I don't know if it, it won't be this week. No, our our front seven is way too good to let that happen. We are sixth in the NFL in run stuff rate. We are second in the. By the way, this is for all the people in Twitter who keep asking me where the pass rush is. I like to call them Eric's. And <laughs> really, yeah, because you always ask me where the pass rush is. I just want to know where it's coming from. Not this year. I'm not asking. Yeah, eleven point six percent adjusted sack rate. Yeah. We are second in the NFL in adjusted sack rate, behind Houston, and by far ahead of everybody that is Houston. My pass rush. Our questions have always been great. Our defensive. <laughs> how dare you? Our defensive DVOA is first. Like people need to. If questions. anybody who's bagging on our defense right now, it does not know what they're talking about. Like our defensive DVOA is number one. We're second or first, and we're ahead of you know the mighty Philadelphia Eagles in second. All right, it's a small sample, but seriously, the defense is playing good, and we should not be unhappy with anything they've shown us this year. <laughs> also, that is stout. the Rams when they had that big run at the end, there that big long drive that was after the offense had sputtered out three times in a row. He's tired, yeah, and it was that ninety-eight happens. degrees with two hundred and seventy yeah. percent humidity. Well, yeah. That's how we uh, roll against San Diego. I mean, I would like year. to see us try laying outside and shed in in the slot just to see if that's a more effective way to cover like those guys that shed struggling against or shift Earl over the top of shed more right often. just just do something to protect shed a little bit because he had a hard time against Brit and maybe that's the kind of receiver like Brit's pretty big right yeah he's yeah. like six four yeah a little so, tall so maybe like the ta- maybe the tall receivers are gonna be really tough for shed and we need to help like that's that's my thought on that I know I bagged on shed a lot but I just think that maybe certain kinds of receivers might be tough for him because he was he was awesome in the preseason in week one I would say, um, yeah, I'm not holding this game against Shed. Kenny Britt had an unexpectedly uh, competent game. Well, in case Kingdom's one of those quarterbacks where he's garbage like 35% of the time, and about 20% of the time he makes these perfect throws out of nowhere. It's like an idiot savant. And he made a lot of them to Britt. I mean, he made some really good Mm -hmm. throws to Britt. I mean, he was open a few times, but... Which Some he, of those throws were really good. Which he mixed in with just getting absolutely whacked around by our defensive line, so it made it all the more frustrating. Oh, human pinata. All right, I want to go to picks for this game because we're talking Rams again. I don't want to talk any more Rams. So, 49ers, what's the scores? All right, here we go. So, the, Se- the San Francisco 49ers, they're really good against tight ends and running backs in the pass game. So, don't expect a lot of that, but they get hammered by number one wide receivers. Big game from Doug Baldwin, two touchdowns, 20-10 to 10 Seahawks. I still think their defense is good, but I think that that's a big game for Baldwin. Bust out game. Like, everyone's talking about him again after this one. I'm going to say Jimmy Graham does what you think Baldwin's going to do just because I need I need to send some positive energy. So, uh, 27-6 Seahawks. Oh, that's a Brett Hancock score if Damn I've ever heard straight. one. I, I have not changed at all. Home game, homer. You know, I think that Jimmy Graham was getting split out in the slot. And I think you're going to see that a little bit more this game. I think you need to think of it more of a slot receiver. And I see a lot of quick passes to Baldwin and Graham. I think Baldwin busts one of those for a touchdown on one of those just cross runs or a really long pass. And I think that Lockett's going to burn him down the sideline at least once if he's healthy enough to play, which it looks like he will be. I think there's going to be a lot of runs crashing to the right side. And I think that the offense is going to look pretty healthy this game. I'm going to go with... 23-13 Seahawks. And that's really super optimistic take by Kevin Garber. I have the Seahawks winning 23-9. to I don't think that the 49ers see the end zone. I don't think that we have a great outstanding game, but I think we have some big plays, and it keeps the, the worry warts at bay for the offensive line this week. I think the offensive line plays surprisingly well. That doesn't really say a lot about our offensive line. Yeah, the Niners only have three total sacks, and... You know, for everything they do wrong, Seattle's not allowing sacks. And the defense, the defense is, their defense is playing pretty decent though. I mean, I know last week they gave up a billion points, but their week one performance against the Rams was somewhat impressive, the way their defense played. 
And Carolina, I'll be honest, that offense looks like a juggernaut, man. With Kelvin Benjamin, I, I don't so want to, I don't want to hold that against them because I think Kelvin Benjamin adds a dimension to that offense where they might have gone undefeated last year if they had Kelvin Benjamin. Well, they only lost one game, so. Two. Oh, <clears throat> oh. ooh, <laughs> ooh. Daggers. <laughs> All right, Nathan, uh, any, are we, are we going into big shouts or are we waiting until? Oh, we have a really big shout, but are I we think doing... we're going to do it after the. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it so after this. This is when I hand this off to Nathan. Because we got somebody that we know is going to listen to the end Seahawks, of the shout. Seahawks Nest Movie Club. All right. So we're, we're going to take the Seahawks Movie Club. We're going to take this Seahawks Nest Movie Club intergalactic as we get our asses to Mars and talk about 1982 classic Total Recall. Oh. Okay, Paul Paul uh, Verchungen, uh I don't know how to say that name. <laughs> the guy who quit Hollywood because they wouldn't let him make super sweet movies like Total Recall and RoboCop uh, is, uh, is he made this movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it's a movie based on a book, uh, which is a pretty cool book, and uh, it's about a guy who doesn't know if reality is real, man. So, what do you guys think about Total Recall? This is Inception before Inception. Yeah, it's like Super Inception before Inception. Yeah. Is this the only Schwarzenegger movie that's actually good? I'll take your no, no, off the air. no, no. There are other here. movies that are good, don't but this Terminator one holds up as no, well. No, we're not. We're not talking. I want, don't don't switch the subject, Brendan. <laughs> right, talk. Sorry. sorry, 1990. By the way, My, yeah. I got the year wrong. I was gonna say when you said 82, I was like, ooh, what? I don't know what this movie could be. Um, you know, this is. Was this he in is Urban Commando, and I forgot. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think you know this is actually regarded as a really one of the great sci-fi movies. Yeah, and it's funny because Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's it's not a good movie. actor. No. He's he he speaks gibberish, but he is an action star. And this movie, it had its action, but it, it also had its sci-fi plays. And let's not forget the biggest part of the movie: the woman with the three breasts. Yeah, this movie is magical for all of those reasons because it shouldn't be any good. It was made when, like, everything with, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger was getting made, right? But, like, the dude made RoboCop, so he has a, the longest leash imaginable. Yeah, it it sticks out probably more than any other. See, I, I mega respect Schwarzenegger for this film for a number of reasons. One, I think he did an awesome job in it. Two, he, like, self-bought the rights to the movie for $3 million and hand-selected the director and was like, I want you to direct this movie. And I think, like, the, really? thing, that's, the thing that's so great about... Uh, I'm going to get this name. Here we go. I'm going to read it so I can try it. Paul Verhoeven's style is that it's so like over the top and like just crazy stuff is happening. Like, let me give you a specific example. At the end of the movie, okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger's fighting the villainous Richter, okay, and they're riding up a, an elevator. And there's a point where Richter's holding onto the edge and onto Arnold's arms. And then, and then he gets his arms get chopped off and he falls to the ground. And Arnold takes the arms and he throws them back down the elevator shaft and he just goes, "See you at the party, Richter." And it's like the greatest thing in the entire world. And it's just like this is exactly what this movie should be, man. This is like it's so over the top and crazy. And that's what he Paul Verhoeven does. Is he he? It's almost comical the level of violence, but it. it it's like you're in on the joke, you know what I mean? Where yes. if like a little kid watched it, he'd be horrified, but you're like on the inside, you know, so you know. <laughs> it's a movie that was fully self-aware of who Arnold Schwarzenegger was. It was like breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall. And it did this old thing that sci-fi has always been great at, where it takes advantage of the fact where it's like, oh, this is the future, so we can be cheeky. And it's actually making this really good commentary, like how RoboCop was so dystopian and about the police state of the military, and this was about oppressive governments. But and it they, does it in such an over-the-top action way. And tourism. Where and tourism. And tourism, where it's not, like, super offensive. Then they're, they're, like, they're, like, winking at the audience. You know what yes. I mean? Like, the whole thing is, like, just winking at the audience, like... You know, hey, this is an action movie, and there's a lot of over-the-top actions, but look look at this common, actual, real, like, background commentary we're making about, like, kind of the state of society. And the thing that's cool about these movies, and, we're, and I know we're kind of bleeding and talking about RoboCop because it's the same director, but these movies, the social commentary still stands up to this day for both of these movies, like, big time. And the thing is, too, is that they didn't have to have any of that to be successful. Like, I mean, that was a time when you could just mail it in, right? I mean, oh, yeah. You had, you had big action star... Those movies are gory. They're bloody. Like they, they, like they were rated R. They had enough of a sci-fi element. You could make a seven all day long and sell it for millions. Oh yeah, but 
the Total Recall and Robocop are both nines bordering on tens. And they're, yeah. Well, what about the scene in this movie where, like, is it, doesn't, like, a Arnold get in, like, a Hawaiian shirt in one scene in this movie yes. and, like, try to sneak through customs? Yes. Yes, he <laughs> I does. that scene being so great. He also divorces his fake wife with a gunshot wound. That yeah. was good. You're divorced. <laughs> yeah, don't forget uh, the, the cab driver. Remember yes. The, the animatronic cab driver, so creepy, still animatronic stand-up today because it's supposed to, it's one of those winking at the camera moments. Yes. It's just, like... It's like it looks. It's like the uh, model for Tom Tom Hanks in the Polar Express. Same, <laughs> same character, very creepy, very frightening, very so trying to be welcoming. Yeah, here's the thing. I was gonna call bullshit on you picking Total Recall because it's not really a cult movie. But you know what? Since we're hitting all of the social commentary elements, and that's not the reason people watch the movie. I think we're talking and, about the part that people don't I do, get from and this. And I do think on some level this is a cult movie. And you especially saw it. With, and I know this movie made $260 million. And like, if you invest for inflation, that's like $800 million <laughs> in today's money, right? Wow. Yeah. So like, this movie made a ton of money. And so, yeah, it's successful. And oh, another thing about this, Arnold took a percentage as his salary. So he made like buku <laughs> dollars off this movie. <laughs> that dude was smart in his this, time. But you oh, look yeah. at what happened with the with the remake. okay? And this is my point in terms of like it being a cult movie. Is that you look at what happened with the remake. They didn't understand what made this movie great. They thought this is an action sci-fi movie with a social commentary. And it's all the winking and the over-the-top violence and... I don't want to say that that makes it fun, but it does. It makes the movie fun to watch it's in a way. It's intentionally cheesy. It makes the movie fun to watch in a way that you can't have when you with a new one. The new one's just it's too shiny, it's too neat. It's a like I watched that movie and I was like, yeah, this is a fine action movie, but this is not Total Recall. It's missing the point. It's missing the point. The, Total Recall is a cult movie because everybody thinks that Terminator and Terminator Two are cult movies. Well, That's I mean, why like, Total Recall is like those, those James aren't. these James Cameron movies. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like you know, like this is not some like Hollywood, you know, super schmoozy guy. Like this dude flamed out, you know, other director Paul, whatever. He flamed out super hard on the entire industry, but he left his mark by far. Like, well, and that, that and that's the coolest part, right? Is that like some somehow he got this movie greenlit and RoboCop greenlit, and then he was like, hey. Here's my like lasting gift to the world of like sci-fi, well, and that's like, cinema. That, that's like awesome. the thing with Paul Verhoeven is that after Hollow Man, which is not a great movie, like let's be honest, not Hollow good Man movie. is, but Hollow Man has good parts. Like yes. there are parts of the movie where I'm like, this movie is sweet and it's really getting going. He was like, you know what? I'm never making a movie in Hollywood again because of all the crap I had to go through because people didn't understand what he was trying to do, what made him special as a director different than most other guys well and that's what they say killed hollow man was and what drove him out of the business was he got he so much was dictated to him for that movie and he figured you know he'd made so much money to that point where he could just consider himself to be cash and they would let him do his thing and he was ridden so hard on that movie where he's like you know if i haven't established myself well enough by now I'm never gonna, and that's when he was out. And one more Paul Verhoeven thing. Showgirls. People like to shit on this movie all yes. the time, but they don't really get it that yeah. these people are supposed to be overacting and it's supposed to be ridiculous because there can't be over-the-top violence in this movie, so he did the over-the-top in like a much different way. The movie is better than people give it credit for. I don't think it's great or anything, but that movie <laughs> is much better than people give it credit for. That's the thing. I think he's so nuanced in the way that he approaches it. Because he's so consistent. It's not like, oh, this scene is overacted or this piece is overly dramatic. It's stylized. Everything's stylized. Basic yes. Instinct's an awesome movie, too. All right. Let's turn into just Paul Verhoeven talk, which is exactly what I wanted. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> totally fine with that. How do we not talk about oh. the guy with the <clears throat> with the little man in his chest? Quade <laughs> the reactor. We did not, we did not oh, say man. anything about it. I, I'm just... I'm very disappointed. Now you Each said and every about it. Well done. Every single one of you. Very we, disappointed. We, we have not, failed the city. Not to railroad this too much. <laughs> this conversation reminded me that I don't own Total Recall on Blu-ray. Five dollars and four cents free prime shipping. Get your copy today. Done. Done. <laughs> done. I already I already ordered done. it on my phone while you guys were talking. So all right. You're an so, inspiration to us all, Brad. Yeah, you're you're, you're the real deal. Five dollars and four cents at a time. All right, Change so we, we got to bring back an old segment called Big Shouts, and we just want a big shout to our no, number one Argentinian homeboy. Uh, just uh, we know you're listening, and thanks for listening. Keep listening, and uh, that that's it. That's we what know big you shouts said there's is no for. community down there. 
you, sir, are the community. We're going to try. We embrace you. For we're going to try to find right. more Argentinian uh, Seahawks fans for you to hook up with. If you're if you're an Argentinian twelve, you need to get on our Facebook page and connect with this gentleman because he there's sent, literally two of you. <laughs> <laughs> and he he sent a piece of fan mail that made our week. It was was very awesome. Usually our fan mail is like, what wrong with Russ Wilson? With like eight question marks and an exclamation point. And it's like, oh, geez, I don't even want to answer this. When is Marshawn Lynch coming back? (laughs) Or uh, SoundCloud porn bots for Nathan to delete. Yeah. Oh, more SoundCloud porn bots for me to just be like, no, get out of here. (laughs) All right. So we ready to wrap this up, boys? Yeah. Yeah. So hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We are Seahawks Nest. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, Check us out on... TuneIn, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. We're on like every podcast service in existence now if you want to give us some reviews and likes we'd appreciate it tell your friends about us yeah though. when you Make give this us a community experience when you give us five stars on something it is very helpful i cannot stress this enough a lot i know people are listening now because we actually have uh numbers Good data. I, whereas before we just had like a we had like a raw like we're we're moving five gigabytes of data like we had no idea what that meant but now the few we hundred know. of you that we know are out there listening Jam, know, feel jam, us. Yeah, jam that because it helps us. And if you really like us, if you're like a, a true lover, you know, and you want to chat with Brett every week, donate three dollars per month to Patreon Such so you could chat with Brett after Such every game. It, it is more comical than you would expect. Feel, feel the you can feel the panic. Uh, <laughs> if you want pure rage, win or loss. Sometimes unrelated and yesterday or and on Sunday, literal panic. All day. Unrelated Seahawks game, so you could have seen the tail end of that, which I'm sure is amusing to everyone, family, friends. Except for Brett. Yeah, that's right. It's not funny to me. For the panic-stricken Brett Hancock, Kevin Garber, Nathan Sano, I'm Eric Ronnebeck. Go Hawks. All right, got it.